Hey, Jeremy, what have you been hearing about RSV lately? Don't you feel like it's everywhere? Yeah, I read uh, the New York Times, so I get an update every single night on the top 10 stories, and I feel like the number one, two, three, or four has been RSV for the past month. I know, I know. It's like, gosh darn it, here's another virus we have to be worried about. Yeah, Exactly what everybody you- wanted, yep. Right. <laughs> and you and I, you know, uh, we've been, uh, personally, I've been fielding a fair amount of questions about this from my friends that have children or really just anybody. Um, and so we thought we'd reach out to one of our doctor friends, Dr. Bridget Voigt, who is a pediatrician. She's actually the program director for the pediatrics residency here at Rush. She's amazing. Um, I reached out to her as my doctor friend to be like, Bridget, what the hell is going on? Paint us a picture of what's happening at our hospital. And, and here's a little bit of what she had to say about that. Hi, Julie and Jeremy. Um, thanks for asking about RSV. Um, we are really busy at Rush right now on the pediatric side, both the inpatient and outpatient side. Um, lots and lots of kids coming into the clinic with symptoms, and we are checking for RSV, for flu, for COVID. We're finding all three. So we thought it would be really a great time um, at right now as we're recording this at the beginning of November to, to really delve in between Jeremy and me about RSV, bringing you guys up to speed, what we should know about it. Um, and uh, yeah, what do you think, Jer? Yeah, it's scary, man. I mean, I mm-hmm. think RSV has been around for a long time. And I think for the most part, viruses themselves are probably a little bit more uh, the hot item than they've ever been in the past. But even as a parent, I'm kind of scared about it. It's kind of like, do I put my kid back in a mask or not? Just because like all yeah. this stuff's going on. And so I have a lot of questions. And, and I thought that, um, you know, I've been getting a lot of questions about it. And frankly, I reached out to one of my uh, uh, friends who's a pediatrician and asked him, like, kind of what's going on with it. And he was his his family was sick and his young kid was sick. And he, like, didn't even have time to, to talk to me about it because they're just so busy right now and so overloaded. And so this is really important. I think we need to understand kind of like what is this virus? Why are we seeing more of it now? What do we do to kind of prevent all the problems that or mm-hmm. concerns that people are having and, and and hopefully kind of make it a little bit more digestible for everybody so i'm excited to do this with you hell yeah man let's talk about it let's roll welcome to your doctor friends the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend my name's julie bruni and i'm jeremy allen and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes we know that you have questions and we want to help we want to be your doctor friends all right jeremy what do you what do you remember what do you know about rsv so I remember what it stands for. I remember it's respiratory syncytial virus. I remember yep. that we didn't even really test for it for the most part because it didn't really matter, right? It was a virus and you were providing, there wasn't really a treatment for it. So I remember not really being like, look how much RSV we have. And so that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why I thought this was so interesting that we're like testing more now and finding so much more of it. And and, and I think that's why people are, are confused. Um, and the other thing I remember about it is like the diagnosis when we would diagnosed like the symptoms of it was something called bronchiolitis mm-hmm. which i think we can dive more into but i think mm-hmm. that that like the concept was is that rsv itself causes bronchiolitis and then, then the bronchiolitis is what causes uh, the sickness those are what i remember um which is not too bad uh <laughs> no 
that's I, pretty I, damn I, good, man. And it's yeah, it kind of yeah. echoes similarly to what to what I experienced when I was in residency and seeing this a lot. I feel like I saw it a fair amount. Maybe I was doing my peds rotation. I think I do recall doing my peds rotation in the winter months, but because usually this thing. Well, let's just let me back up yeah. and and yeah, give let's talk give our it. listeners some um, just bullet point information about RSV specifically. So as you're right, you know, as you just said, respiratory syncytial virus. Um, I'm taking a lot of this information from the CDC's website, which is actually quite good. Um, there's there's many things that are pretty up to date. So RSV is the number one cause of bronchiolitis, as you mentioned. So inflammation, infection of the sort of middle airways. Um, it's also the number one cause of pneumonia in children under uh, one year old. So, so this very often affects little kids, uh, babies specifically. Um, most people with RSV experience mild cold-like symptoms, and they recover in about a week or two. Um, infants, like we just said, and older adults can be more severely infected. Um, it's actually extremely common. Most infants will have had an RSV infection by their second birthday. So the majority of babies in the U.S. will have been infected with this virus. So, um, you know, pretty common. Um, Annually, RSV causes as much illness in adults as influenza does. So it's pretty common in adults too, but we we usually uh, you know experience it as a cold virus and get over it in a week or two, just like we would with other uh, upper respiratory viral infections. Um, and RSV specifically, it's an RNA virus. It's similar to influenza in its sort of molecular makeup. So that's sort of you know the player here. Um, yeah, and I think it's um, some things that are interesting too. Is you yeah. know we haven't really historically tested for it, so mm-hmm. we actually don't even know how much pe- adults get it, right? Because we just never like if you had a cold, you wouldn't get tested for RSV as an adult. But we do right. know that like it really can kind of similar to the dichotomy of a lot of, of, of illnesses we see. It, it can be pretty serious for older adults too. About fourteen thousand older adults in the U.S. die from it each year, so it's not mm-hmm. nothing. Right. But we do know that the vast majority of kids who get sick from this do okay. Um, And the vast majority don't end up in the hospital, but those that do tend to get good supportive care, they get oxygen, and they tend to go home pretty quickly because, again, they recover well. So only about two to 300 children die a year from RSV in the United States, but it is really prevalent across the the world, and if you don't have good access to things like oxygen or supportive Mm -hmm. care, like it can be pretty fatal, up to 100,000 people, uh, kids, uh, worldwide. So, you know, it's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's been around, I mean, it's not, this isn't the concept of like a new virus like covid coming through um this is a virus that we've known about for a long time but just has never really been on the forefront of what we've needed to do because we've never been at the peak of admissions to hospitals where we couldn't provide care to people right (laughs) which is why this is different yeah and that that was the big issue with the pandemic too it is in general is utilization management and i think we also um and Dr. Voigt, I think we should we should play another quote from her about why is this happening right now um, with, you know, the, the peak of these cases is happening way sooner than we usually see it. This also happened similarly last year. Um, so I think we had a foreshadowing of what may happen this year um, and why it's starting to overwhelm our hospitals so significantly. And that's why you're hearing about it more in the news. So why don't we play another quote um, from Dr. Voigt? Uh, where she explains her experience and, and, and why this is happening in this way right now. This is really early in the season to be seeing such a high um, prevalence of RSV. And it's also early to be seeing flu. Um, we're seeing lots of babies who are really sick and toddlers as well. So typically RSV 
for older kids is just a cold. They really don't have any severe symptoms. Um, but this year, because so many of them, I think, are getting it for the first time because of the pandemic, um, a lot of them are really sick. And so we are full as far as beds go, both on the inpatient unit and in the PICU almost every single night. And our PICU attendings are spending the whole night answering phone calls from other hospitals who are looking for beds for their pediatric patients. So there's a bed shortage, and this has been going on for weeks now um, in Chicago and Illinois and really truly around the country. Um, this is also at the same time, there continues to be a nursing shortage. So there's areas that are short-staffed around the country as well. So definitely shortages in just available beds and shortages in nursing staff and other supportive staff that are in working in hospitals to to provide that care, specifically in emergency departments. Um, I mean, I think, Jeremy, you had a good point as we were prepping for this episode talking about maybe we should counsel people to to be very careful about uh, <laughs> what they're doing. And you said you mentioned something about maybe telling telling people not to go to trampoline parks right now because you don't want to break your wrist and have to go to the ED. It's yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be yeah. a kid in the emergency room right now. Just in general, yeah. um, because the the wait times are crazy. You can't get beds. Um, everybody's uh, overworked, and and uh, yeah, you certainly don't want to be there if you can avoid it. Um, I I think just to highlight some of those points on why we're hearing about it so much right now. I think the first and foremost is we're dealing with a bunch of young children who were not exposed to it the way that you had mentioned earlier. Yeah. The vast majority of kids get one by the age of two, maybe even multiple times. And so they build up immunity, which everybody's familiar with now. Immunity mm -hmm. is important. In addition, without having been exposed, you now have them developing stronger responses to it. And then also the way that it kind of attacks the younger body or frankly anybody is that it creates a lot of inflammation in those middle airways as you mentioned mm -hmm. middle airways meaning in the lungs kind of like the small tubes called your bronchioles and if you think about just size of tube the younger you are the smaller said tube right mm -hmm. and so more inflammation more blockage of said tube and therefore difficulty breathing difficulty getting air to the you know the important air transmission areas and you know we call them alveoli and whatnot the older you are the bigger the tube the easier you can clear that area by coughing mm -hmm. or doing all the things you need to do and so that's why it really really affects younger kids more I have a three-year-old. Historically speaking, my three-year-old would have been probably low risk for a severe illness from this, but my three-year-old has been trying to avoid COVID for the past couple of years. And so yeah. who knows if my three-year-old has RSV immunity and therefore is at a higher risk for a, a worse case. Also, yeah, little, little kids and little babies don't have the muscular power to get shit out of their lungs like adults can. Like we can, we can muster off a pretty good cough if you, you know, if you're a relatively healthy person and have, you know, relatively normal muscle tone, you can you can kind of use your your abdominal and and chest muscles to help constrict things to try to get that stuff out of your lungs. Little kids and babies don't know how to do that. They don't have the neuromuscular function to do that. And so I think a lot of that the secretions and the gunk that gets stuck in their bronchioles just stays there. And it's um, that's why they need a lot of frequent suctioning. I feel like that was the biggest thing when, when I would work in the hospital or in the ED is that these, these little ones, you just have to get the suction in their nose and in their mouth pretty consistently because they, they don't know how. They don't have the skills, <laughs> they don't have right. the experience to bring that junk up. 
Yeah, that's so going to be a good transition to talk about, um, you know, uh, signs and symptoms and things like that in a second. Just to wrap up real quick, why yeah. we're seeing a lot more of this too is the, the starting a uh, virus starting earlier than it usually does. Meaning seasonally, most of these things start at certain times. People are pretty f- familiar with that with the flu. When it starts earlier, it's generally a hallmark that it's going to be a worse season of it Um, and the reason for that is that it's transmitting more and more people have an opportunity to even get multiple infections and things like that we know that the flu has been awful this year if you look at the southern hemisphere australia had its worst flu season in five years and 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 was really struggling uh down there and so all of the factors including we're not masking we're not social distancing kids are back in school kids are back in daycares um there's a lot more travel right so Mm -hmm. like uh, the flu last year stayed in the southern hemisphere and they didn't have really any and then it didn't travel up to the northern hemisphere and so we didn't people are getting on airplanes now and bringing things around and so all of these things lead to our usual transmission of viruses but now we have covid still a thing and still active and and evolving we have flu which is always a thing and we have bad seasons and good seasons but again it's been a couple years since people have had immunity to that um and we know that that's transmitting more and now you have rsv which again usually a thing but just not this Mm -hmm. big of a thing transmitting and so you know that's where you're getting this phrase of like the triple demic or the triple Mm -hmm. pandemic type of situation and all these viruses go to the lungs right i think that kind of wraps up for the most part, why we're seeing more of it. Is there anything else you'd want to mm-hmm. add to that? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. If my three-year-old, or let's even use like, uh, you know, I have a nine-month-old uh, niece, like if they were to get RSV, like what, what symptoms should I be looking for? How do I know if it's RSV or how do I know I should get them a higher level of care? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, if you were, if you... <laughs> you were my family member or if, if I was a resident and you were calling and I was on call and you were saying, hey, my kid is having these symptoms and what should I be worried about? When should I talk to or bring them into the doctor? When should I consider even bringing them in for emergency care? One big thing I wanted to touch on is that when babies, you know, like you're talking about the nine month old, when babies are having a really hard time breathing, they also can't eat or drink very well. Um, They're not good at sort of managing their upper airway and swallowing at the same time. Um, They also just get exhausted, you know, so they tend to one, if they're not eating or drinking much because they're just coughing and and their their rate of breathing has increased like that's one thing too so these these kids and these babies may have a higher a higher risk of dehydration and that's usually what we're how we're supporting them is one big part of usually they get iv fluids but so that's one part of it you feel like they're not eating they're not drinking they're not making wet diapers anymore you know that's that's an issue the second is when they really seem to be working very hard to breathe so we talk about something like using their accessory muscles to breathe so if you're seeing the the pockets underneath like underneath their ribs or like they're sucking in their belly or they're sucking in in between the the space between their ribs that's an issue um when you can kind of see all their neck muscles as they're trying to breathe that's another kind of sign of increased work of breathing and having a really hard time just bringing in air and in out is that how you would uh um describe that jeremy yeah, for sure. I think that it's paradoxical than what we think of with adults, where you can visibly see adults kind of struggling to breathe and being short of breath. Like kids don't actually look technically short of breath. Um, mm-hmm. They they look like they're kind of like um, um, paradoxically almost like sucking in. Um, yeah, and grunting. So, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think to 
summarize, I think what I'm hearing you say is, so if, if your child is sick, it's going to look like a normal cold type syndrome, mm-hmm. right? They're going to have fever, potentially upper respiratory symptoms like, you know, congestion, maybe mm-hmm. a cough, um, you know, all things that you'd usually see. And then when we're talking about like, do I need to go get tested for RSV or do I need to go to the emergency room? The answer to that question is really more based on if you're starting to see severe illness. You don't need to go get tested for RSV the same way you'd get tested for, for COVID, like uh, just because, again, it doesn't really change management. There's no treatment for it per se. And so mm-hmm. the things to look out for, as you mentioned, are signs of dehydration. So if you have a younger child, are they not making wet diapers? And how many wet diapers per day? I mean, I, first of all, it's, you should know kind of what the baseline of your child is. But ultimately, if you're starting to see less than four you know, wet diapers a day, that's pretty low. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, if you're starting to see them kind of uh, increase their respiratory rate. So what's the normal respiratory rate for for younger kids? Most kids, you know, up until about, you know, 12 months or so less than a year are going to breathe about 30 to 50 times a minute. So if you take a watch out and you count their breaths and they're, you know, breathing 70 times a minute that, you know, 65 times a minute, they're going to tire out. Think about how hard that would be. But if you see, you know, 45 breaths a minute, that may be really jarring to an adult. But in reality, that's kind of in the normal range. And if they don't seem like they're struggling, then again, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't contact your pediatrician or just let them know that the child's ill. But at the same time, it doesn't just knowing what the normal is can be really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other question I was going to ask you is if, if the child is any ages, right? So they're starting to show signs of difficulty clearing. You already mentioned it. Like they can't cough the way that you and I do. Would you have any suggestions Mm -hmm. on maybe how we can help them clear their mucus or things we can do for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of parents have the little bulb suctions at home or the nose Frida's, which we've talked about on other episodes. Love the nose Frida. So gross to me. The concept is disgusting. (laughs) But I would would absolutely do it in a heartbeat if one of my nieces or my nephew was all full of snots and needed me. Auntie Juju would go right up in there and suck that stuff out. But yeah, a bulb suction... Um, also helping to break up secretions by getting them in a sort of a warm, humidified environment. So some people mm-hmm. will hold their kid and turn the shower on to, to high heat or they'll get a, a warm humidifier, um, you know, uh, so that, that humidified air, especially as it gets colder and depending where our listeners are listening. But we li- we're in Chicago in the Midwest. It can get very, very dry as it gets cold and that can be, make it more difficult for kids to... Um, to break up some of those thick secretions. Um, nasal saline is helpful. I know we talked about a lot, a lot with Greg Costelli on our um, cold medicine. Um, you know, he's our pharmacist that helped us to figure out what the hell we should be giving ourselves and our children when they get sick. And, you know, <laughs> I'd suggest listening to that episode again or listening to it for the first time if you haven't heard that one. It's really, really good. Uh, he talked about a study that came out, um, I forget when, but uh, was pretty high-powered use, utilizing honey to help children sort of suppress or quiet a cough or um, that there's some um, intrinsic things in honey that are helpful to soothe coughs. Um, and it's pretty benign. <laughs> Um, I don't know if there's anything else that Greg talked about that you think would be helpful for supportive care that you can start at home, hopefully in anticipation of, you know, or not in anticipation of, of, you know, not having to bring your kid into for more acute care. Yeah. So not from Greg, but anecdotal experience. These yeah. things are always worse with when kids at night, they always seem yeah. to be worse at night. And so, you know, obviously you want your own sleep to go well, but the child can have trouble sleeping. And so some thoughts I have are you can do kind of like a steam based, um, 
you know, like sit and read or whatever in the bathroom. Like we'll turn on a hot shower and just like steam up the room. And instead of doing our reading in the bed, we'll read in there. And so you can kind of do some, some steam that'll kind of help clear things up a little bit or, or, or thin the secretions. In addition, um, you know, I, I highly don't recommend going in and checking on your kid a bunch of times. It can be really high anxiety to hear them yeah. kind of like coughing. And, and a lot of times they kind of stay asleep, but I do as a parent, uh, empathize with the fact that it can be really, really, especially when all you're seeing on the news is all these kids struggling and going to the hospital to kind of sit there and just like let nothing happen. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to every once in a while go in and just kind of, you know, look in and check on your child if you feel like it makes you feel better. But I would not try to wake them up because good sleep is is really helpful from getting over an illness, as any yeah. adult can also mention, right, too. Um, I, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other things that, you know, oh, elevating pillows um, mm-hmm. or ele- if you have a child that's in a crib, obviously you can't put like pillows and things in there. So if you put some um, books or something underneath the crib to kind of elevate one side of the crib um, mm-hmm. is, is generally reasonably safe. And again, it'll help them kind of if you think about sleeping on a pillow and sleeping upright when you're congested, um, it can be really helpful. But it's painful. It's painful to have yeah. a kid who's not sleeping at night and, 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 and as an adult and to be worried about it. So those are just some things that we use um, um, going through that stuff. Um, let's talk about, um, are there things that we can do to, to be ahead of it? Like as a parent or as a, as, as, as physicians, can we do something to kind of, now that we know this is a problem? What, what yeah. Do and do, I want to, I, I want to pass it back to another, another clip from Dr. Voigt, um, who very succinctly put this in great, in, uh, in her own words, which I think were very, very powerful. So let's hear from Dr. Voigt about how we can sort of temper this surge. So advice is to definitely get vaccinated for the things we can get vaccinated for. So for influenza and for COVID, vaccinate the kids, vaccinate the family members, caretakers. Um, Kids should stay home when they're sick so that we don't spread things like RSV around. And definitely um, make sure that if your young baby or toddler is showing signs of respiratory distress that they get looked at. Yeah, I think she said it fantastically there. But vaccination, I mean, so kids over six months old are all eligible, not, well, I guess not all, but unless there's some sort of strange contraindication, which is extremely rare, kids over six months old are uh, eligible for influenza vaccine and the three um, COVID vaccines. So it's it's so important to get our kids vaccinated and boosted. Um, Kids over the age of five can get the bivalent booster vaccine now. Um, there's not a current RSV vaccine available, um, although I, there's some talk about some being currently in development. Um, I remember this also, Jeremy, with when when I was in a, you know doing pediatrics uh, rotations, is that the the kids and babies that would qualify for something called Synagis or um, Pelivzizumab, uh, which is a monoclonal an- antibody that, that helps. Say that five times with... fast. <laughs> no, I I probably said it wrong one time slowly, <laughs> but I remember Synagis. Um, it's basically a monoclonal antibody that's given to preemies and babies born with heart and lung conditions that put them at higher risk um, for RSV specifically. It's basically antibodies against RSV that we can give them, and it's um, dosed out. It's given intravenously. Um, monthly during sort of the high RSV months in these high risk kids. Um, certainly, if you know, if you think your kid might be high risk, this is probably I would hope be a, a, a discussion that you would have had with your pediatrician. But it's something I guess you could bring up at risk for synergist. But this is not to be used for like the same way that we're using Paxlovid and some of the like the the COVID type um, 
treatments for when people are getting, you know, the, an infection really uh, early. Synergis is preventative and it's for high risk babies and young kids. Um, so long story short, there's no vaccination for RSV right now. But because we're talking about this potential triple-demic, um, it's really important that we vaccinate ourselves about for the available things that we can vaccinate for, the big two being influenza and COVID. Yeah, I, we hit on this earlier. Stay out of the emergency room, right? Yeah. Like, if, if, if you don't have to be there you don't want to be there. No. You're going to be there forever. I, a friend of mine, his his uh, child is actually in the uh, hospital with uh, viral symptoms and mm-hmm. took 28 hours to get a bed. You know, like was in the holding area for 28 hours, right? And mm-hmm. and so, again, you don't want to be there if you don't have to be. So the things that you can control are you can be vaccinated for the things that we have vaccines for. And whether you believe that it's going to prevent you from getting it or not, we do know that both the flu vaccine and the COVID vaccines reduce or prevent hospitalizations. You don't want to be going to the hospital right now, and you don't want to have to be – the more people go into the hospital, the less resources we have to treat people for something that should not be killing anybody, right? RSV shouldn't be killing a kid because you can throw mm-hmm. oxygen on and give them supportive care, and they do well. But if we don't have enough beds, if we don't have enough oxygen tanks, then bad things are going to happen. There's multiple hospitals that are on bypass right now where they're basically sending people to other hospitals. That's in the state of Illinois. That's across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, there was the factors through the pandemic where the you know most of the people who were ill from COVID were adults. So a lot of the pediatric units were changed over to adult units to try to right. hold on with that. And then following that return back to quote normalcy we didn't expand those pediatric units back and the staffing remained an issue and the bed units are still low and we're, we're dealing with less availability to start with um and so don't try to stay away from things like injuries try to not get uh, uh to the best of your ability anything to go to the emergency room yeah and communicate with your else. yeah yeah with your pediatrician i mean before and I know not everybody has the greatest access to healthcare for themselves or for their children, but if you have the capability of calling your pediatrician's office or making an urgent care appointment, if you're concerned, that would be the, the, the first line of defense before going to the ED. Certainly if you're really worried about your kid and your kid is looking very sick and you know, all those things that we talked about before is struggling to breathe, um, is not eating or drinking well, then like, of course, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you can you can bring your kid to the ED, but if we can manage a lot of these things outpatient, that's the best way to do it because um, it's just hard when, when, yeah, like you said, Jeremy, when you don't have all the resources to take care of, you know, the, the healthy kids that might bounce back in a day or two because they just need supportive care, but then also the not healthy kids, the kids that, that were preemies, the kids that have not great developed heart or lungs anyway, you know, like we really need to be utilizing or, you know, managing our utilization um, for everybody and making sure yeah. that our, our vulnerable populations aren't even more vulnerable because we don't have the stuff to help everybody. Yeah. Two points I want to make. Synergist is incredibly expensive. Um, yeah. It's like $1,500 for a dose, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Um, you said it's monthly, but still that's... So hopefully, uh, on a positive note, I think that hopefully RSV will get some more treatments, right? So it, things that get mm-hmm. more attention, get more research and more, um, you know, oomph behind them. In addition, mm-hmm. the, the vaccine trials are actually pretty far along. They've been doing this obviously leading up to now and obvi- and now it's going to get a further push. So I think there's really strong momentum to have an RSV vaccine or vaccinations available for next year. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, like hopefully we're making some good progress and 
that still means people need to take the vaccinations, um, Mm -hmm. which would be helpful. Um, But we don't have it this year. Yeah, (laughs) we don't. Also, the usual stuff that we harp on hand washing. You know, if anybody's Mm -hmm. having symptoms, stay home. Like there's no event or anything that your kid is going to that is so important that you should be bringing them when they're sick you wouldn't want that happening from somebody else's parent bringing their kids if they're sick we have the holidays coming up right and i know people don't want to have to like swab their nose and do all the covid stuff they just want to hang out with each other but don't be sick and go like you could have rsv and give it to a young kid don't do that like so if you have symptoms you got to use you got to be smart right I know it's so hard and it's so frustrating and it's so like feels like beating a dead horse about this. But, you know, every year around this time, it's the weather gets cold. We all go indoors. Then we all gather together indoors for the holidays and such. And and I think it just is smart to remind everybody that the same rules apply. This isn't gone. It'll never be gone. We have to um, really just manage our decision making for, you know, what the circumstances are right now. And while we're not where we were in 2020, we're certainly not without any risks. So, so no, I, we don't. I, I, I'm, I, I'm scared as a parent, um, so I empathize with you listening. At the same time, I think that there's a lot of things we can do to... Um, you know, still live our lives and, 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 and do the things that we need to do over the holidays and have our kids in basketball class or whatever you want to be doing mm-hmm. with them, but also preventing and, and staying on top of this stuff. So it feels like doom and gloom, but we're all going to get through it together. This is hopefully helpful information to do that. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, the basics I'd say, try to stay out of the hospital right now. <laughs> Listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> Also, buy your pediatrician friends like uh, like a spa weekend or some sort of like uh, <laughs> like just bring them food like like a lasagna or something because yeah. they are getting absolutely they're, slammed. They're being hammered right now, hardcore. Yeah. So, all right. Until next week. Okay. Bye, guys.